One of, uh, one of my favorite restaurants in town, one of the favorite restaurants of Heather and I is a place called Tinker Street. Any Tinker Street fans? I know we've got at least a few in this church. It's a great place. It's uh, kind of that special date night spot for us that we wish we could go to every week, but you can't go to every week because it's just, that's ridiculous, one. But two, it's just, you know, it's a little expensive, but man, it's awesome. We love, we love Tinker Street. And anything that we've gotten there, we've really enjoyed. Uh, we've been there a couple of times, so we've been able to try a handful of the dishes that they've got on there. But one dish in particular that Tinker Street has that I'm a huge fan of, that might, that's kind of, don't spoil it. It's up there for me is really one of my favorite dishes on the planet. It's their pork belly. So if you have been to Tinker Street and not had their pork belly, you're wrong. And if you haven't been to pork, or to, to pork Belly Street, to Tinker Street, go there and get the pork belly is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's delicious. I love, I love this dish. And uh, I was trying to look it up online on their menu to see if I could find like, you know, the description of it because I wanted to explain it to you just how delicious this dish was. All I could find was like a little food critic article and that's as close as we got. But they describe it as such, and I quote, they being Tinker Street, they give you a nice hunk of pork belly that's been seared crispy and they serve it with a perfect sunny side up egg. It's served with kimchi, forbidden rice, and sorghum glaze. Now, I don't know what most of that stuff is. But any dish that starts off with a nice hunk of pork <laughs> is headed in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. It is delicious. Pork, kimchi, whatever that is, some perfectly done rice and an egg over the top of it to finish it off. I wish I could explain this pork belly to you, but you just need to taste it for yourself. This morning I want to talk about the taste of revival. The taste of revival. We're on the back end of a series this morning. We've got this week and, and next week, according to my count, to finish this series up, and we're calling it a sense of revival. And uh, where revival might be kind of a new word for you, maybe you've been in church a lot, maybe you haven't, and really it doesn't mean sometimes revival is not a real common word, but we've been working with a definition for us as we've been going through this series of what is revival, and for us, revival is the life of God in our broken world. That's what that means. Quite simply, the life of God in our broken world. You don't have to look far or hard, and I would imagine you don't even have to look outside of your own life to find a little bit of brokenness, a little bit of stuff that's just not right. And so if we're all in the same boat as far as living in a world that's broken, and if we're honest, even having some stuff ourselves that we know it's broken. Maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe nobody else thinks it's even broken, but we know. We know is broken. If, if we've all got that stuff, then if, as far as I can tell, that means we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat with some broken world, but we're all in the same boat of our need for revival. For us Christians, we, if we really believe what we say we believe, that Jesus is alive, that he is with us, that he loves us, that he is passionate about revealing himself to people and being in relationship with you and the people in your life, if that's really true, then we ought to not just be some Christians that just show up to church on Sunday and do our nice, good, religious thing. We ought to live with a sense of revival. Amen? If you're new with us, I like to talk with you guys, so we'll get some interaction going. We need to live with a sense of revival. We've been spending the series talking about our five human senses as sort of some sort of framework for us, something that we do understand, our five senses, to understand maybe something that we don't quite understand, this idea of a sense of revival. We talked about the history of revival, which, no, that's not a human sense, but that is what we did the first time. 
We talked about the history of revival. We, excuse me, talked about the lens of revival, of faith. We talked about the scent of revival. Last week we talked about the sound of revival, that when God speaks, he doesn't just fill empty space with some vibrations. When God speaks, he speaks life into your broken world. He speaks revival. His voice in itself brings revival, brings life into your broken world. And we talked about how when God speaks, there's always room for us to respond. There's room for us to respond to his initiation of revival, and that's the sound of our repentance, of turning from the things that we've been distracted by and going after Jesus. we got to make our own sound of repentance, the sound of revival, what we talked about last week. This week, I want to talk about what? The taste of revival. Poke your neighbor and say, we're talking about a taste. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully you got your Bibles out. If you don't, go ahead and take them out. You can bring out something to take notes with, a piece of paper, your phone. If your neighbor doesn't have one of those out, just raise your hand and point it. Th- no, I'm kidding. You may think I can't see you, but I can see you, and I'm judging you hardcore if you don't have notes out. I'm kidding. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love to give one to you. Uh, our host team walks around with Bibles each week. If you need one, you don't own one, you just don't have one, we'd love to put one in your hand. Jamie over there with a stack of Bibles. Way to go, team. So go ahead and raise your hand. If that's nobody, that's fine. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. So go ahead and head that way. You guys ready to hear from the Word of God? Do I have a hungry church this morning? In John chapter 6, we're going to talk about a story that uh, if you've been in church much, you've definitely, you're definitely pretty familiar with it. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you're not familiar with church, you've we're probably still pretty familiar with it. It's kind of one of those really famous ones from the Bible. So even if you've heard it a lot and maybe heard a bunch of stuff talked about from it before, just stick with me, and, and if, you're, if you're new to it, we're going to read it. So that's the good news. Anybody in John 6 with me yet? Okay, John 6, we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to read uh, through verse uh, like 14. So we got a little bit of a hike this morning. John chapter 6, verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus has been performing his ministry, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, and people are intrigued. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, where are we going to buy bread so that all these people may eat? He said this to test him, for Jesus himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, shout out. <laughs> Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Say, sit down. That was just for fun. That means nothing. I don't know. I got nothing to go on with that. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, turns five loaves, two fish into a meal for a lot of people. And then when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. They filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. No kidding. 
John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. The feeding of the 5,000. You've probably heard of this plenty of times before. Jesus takes a little kid's lunch of five loaves and two little fish. He turns it into a meal for a huge crowd. It's absolutely amazing. Whether you're familiar with this story or not, I want us to come to the Word of God this morning with a sense of revival. I want us to come to his word with a sense of revival. I think Jesus in this story might just be setting us up for a little something, setting us up for maybe a little taste of revival this morning. So can we look at it with a sense, maybe with some fresh eyes, maybe listen with some fresh ears and get ready for a nice taste of revival this morning. If you're with me, say I'm with you. That's enough to keep going for sure. We've read the whole story, but I want to look at verse 5 as we kind of Start looking into this story and say, okay, it's an amazing story. Jesus does an amazing thing, but what does this have to do with the taste of revival? Verse verse 5, I want to read again. Verse verse 5 in chapter 6, lifting up his eyes, Jesus then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that all these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. You ever ask somebody a question like that? I just want to see what you're going to say. (laughs) Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. I was looking at these verses. I did a little bit of math. A denarii that Philip talks about is a day's wage. So for us, I was like, what's 200 days wages for us? Like if you take minimum wage at hours a day, 200 days, it's about 11,000, what was it? 11,600 bucks. That's no wonder, anyways, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> Rewind. 200 days wages at current minimum wage is $11,600. So Philip's saying $11,600 wouldn't be enough to get these people even just a little bit. Now, a value burger at Wendy's is like a buck twenty. So if you go to the value menu with $11,600, you're going to walk out with about 9,600 cheeseburgers. And apparently that wasn't even going to be enough for this crowd. So it says a large crowd. That's a large crowd. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of hungry bellies. That's a big, impossible situation. And Jesus' question is not really a good question. Where are we going to buy? Definitely not Wendy's, and I don't know where else. (laughs) Even if we had the money, I don't know where we would go. Jesus asked him this question, but if we listen to what's happening here, if if you picture, use your imagination a little bit, seeing this dialogue here in John chapter 6, you you can see that that Philip, he wasn't living with a sense of revival. All he saw was an impossible situation. All he heard was a ridiculous question. What he missed was that Jesus had also already lifted up his eyes and seen the crowd. He just saw it through the lens of revival. And he missed that when Jesus speaks, he speaks the sound of revival. Philip almost missed it because he wasn't allowing the sense of revival to shape his lens. And he wasn't allowing a sense of revival to tune his ears to listen. Because he wasn't living with a sense of revival, he almost missed the taste of revival that Jesus was trying to give him. I want you to write this down, this last part. We're going to even put it up on the screens for you. If you want to live with a taste of revival, you've got to believe that your problem is preparation for God's provision. 
I'm not saying Jesus initiated your problem or gave you the problem that you have or that it was even Jesus' idea. If you look at this story, there's no evidence or no inference that Jesus posted something on Facebook and said, hey, Wednesday, I need 5,000 men with your families on the mountainside, don't eat lunch. <laughs> There's no evidence that Jesus created the problem, that Jesus initiated the problem, that Jesus gave Philip the problem that he was facing. But regardless of the problem that Jesus didn't give you, Jesus didn't create, that maybe even you created by yourself, you need to believe that your problem is preparation for God's provision. He didn't give Philip Philip's problem, but he was with Philip in Philip's problem. And too often, when we run into problems, things get hard. Something happens that we don't understand. A terrible thing happens in the world. Somehow that convinces us that, that God must not be around, or, or he must not really care. How, how could he, if, if this even happened, how could he even be real with all these problems? But that's not at all what your problems mean. Your problems don't mean that Jesus doesn't care, that Jesus isn't there, and that Jesus isn't real. Your problems mean that you live in a broken world. And if we're all honest with ourselves, usually a great deal of our problems are the, because of the fact that we're broken people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I don't even need to live in a broken world to find myself in a broken situation because I'm a broken person. And I find myself breaking things plenty by myself. Yeah. I walked into a barbell at the gym the other day. That was just a plug to make sure you knew I was working out. <laughs> we live in a broken world and we need a taste of revival. I don't know what's broken in your marriage. I don't know what the problem is. But I know that if you'll seek the life of God in your broken world, in your broken situation, that you can taste revival. And that Jesus may not have created your problem, but he's with you in your problem. And when Jesus shows up, he causes your problem to become preparation for his provision. I don't know what's going on with your kids that you can't get figured out. I don't know what bills you can't pay, what depression you can't shake off, what discouragement you just can't come out from under what lies you can't stop hearing. I don't know what the problems are that you have that are even your fault. I don't, I don't know what all of they are, but I've got a sense of revival. And I know that Jesus is alive, and even in your problem, Jesus is preparing his provision for you. Bring the little bit you've got, the little bits you've got left. Just, just bring it. I know it's not enough. That's not the point. Just bring it with a sense of revival and you just might taste revival. Verses 1 through 14 of John 6 tell us a, a story that preaches to us that your problem is preparation for God's provision. And that's a good story. Somebody say, that's a good story. But John 6 is a long chapter and there's more to the story. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. But I need you to look at your neighbor again and remind them there's more to the story. There's more to the story. We're going to skip same chapter, around verse 22. You guys satisfied or do you want to taste some more? 
Verse 22, as you skip down, it begins a 50-verse conversation. We're not going to read it all. Don't worry. A 50-verse conversation between a handful of different parties. Jesus is involved, his disciples, there's the crowd again, there's some religious leaders, there's a handful of people around. It's a big conversation, and it revolves around kind of a very confusing theme of Jesus' statements in this conversation that he, that he has with these people. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 24 in just a second. The crowd, and, and who's involved, Jesus is there, and, and what we're going to step into is the crowd from the day before. They were uh, rightfully amazed of what Jesus did with that little boy's lunch. I mean, how many of you know if you were there, you would have tried to find Jesus the next day too? That happens Wednesday. I want to see what he's going to do Thursday, right? So the crowd, just like us, they go and find Jesus the next day. The story picks up in uh, verse, we'll do 25. When they, <laughs> sorry, inside joke moment in my head. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them. This is interesting. Doesn't really answer their question. Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Perfectly logical, like I said. Jesus turns five loaves and two fish into a, feed, a feeding of 5,000 that fills my belly. I'm going to come back again. So that's what he's saying. That, you came back because you ate. 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the, the uh, where am I? For on him God the Father has set his seal. Whatever that means, right? I mean, when was the last time somebody answered you that way when you said, when did you get here? <laughs> Jesus responds not at all to the question, obviously. He says, you're coming to me because you ate your fill when I did that miracle, but, but, the, but I'm trying to show you the bread, it points to something greater. There's more to the story. You're coming to me because you've tasted something that you can understand, bread, when your belly is hungry, but I want to point you to something bigger. There's a bigger message in the miracle. You're coming to me because of the lows, but there's more to the story, is what Jesus is trying to get across to these guys. If you go to, to verse 35, he says to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but who, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying there's more to the story. They are there looking for a taste of bread, but Jesus is trying to give them a taste of revival. In other words, the problem is preparation for their provision, but Jesus is saying the provision is not even the point. Provision is not even the point. It's like the provision, he's trying to say the provision's pointing to something. The problem was preparation for God's provision. They, they got that. They understood the provision of the bread. It filled their stomachs. Their bellies were full. I got it. Problem, preparation for provision, but they missed the point. And the point is that God's provision is always pointing you to his presence. There's more to the story. The bread that he gave them was provision for their stomachs, but it was prophetic for their souls. There's more to the story. The provision of God in your life will satisfy your stomach. It will satisfy your need, your physical need. God provides for you, but only the presence of God will satisfy your soul. 
God's provision is always pointing you to his presence. It's pointing. I'm the bread of life. I gave you bread, but the bread they're pointing, it's pointing to the presence. Now, we're all pretty similar to these people. And the reason I know that is because we're people. <laughs> I know that's pretty deep. And uh, you know, we, we've got appetites. We know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be hungry. I'm hungry right now for some pork belly. <laughs> Just like our stomachs have appetites, Side note, never have Cheerios for breakfast. They lie. They don't fill you up. <laughs> they get you like 10 minutes down the road, and you're like, I don't think I ate breakfast. <laughs> we all have appetites. Our stomachs have appetites. And just like our stomachs have appetites, our souls have ap appetite. Our souls have an appetite. And people, in this story in John chapter 6, the people were being led by the appetite of their stomachs, but Jesus was trying to point them to something. They were being led by the appetites of their stomach, but he wanted to satisfy the appetite of their souls. You're coming to me because your stomach's hungry, but you don't even understand how hungry your soul is. And when I'm providing for your stomach, I'm trying to get to your soul. Man, he loves you. Jesus. Wow. Wow. People wanted bread, but they needed Jesus. I wonder in our lives where we get distracted by wanting bread when we need Jesus. What's your bread? What you hungry for? Maybe you need Jesus. God's going to provide, and he's pointing you in his provision to his presence. Look at your neighbor and say, don't stop short. Don't stop at the provision. We can all get distracted with our surface level appetites, our stomachs, and we can miss out on what can satisfy our souls. If we get a little too distracted by the appetites of our stomachs, we'll, get, we'll miss out on getting the satisfaction for our souls. If we get distracted by the appetites of our stomachs, we'll get distracted from what can satisfy our souls if we just get caught up in the fact that our stomachs are hungry we'll get distracted from the fact that our souls are hungry if all we do is chase the stuff that can fill our stomach we'll never find the thing that can satisfy our soul and because our soul never stops being hungry it's going to feel like our stomach is hungry and so we keep filling it with the stuff that only fills the stomach but can't satisfy the soul and we can get distracted by our stomachs and we miss out on the satisfaction of our souls. There's a problem in your life and it's preparation for God's provision. He's going to come through. And when he does, he's pointing you to his presence. When I was about 10 years old, I had an appetite awakened for a lot of different things. We used to go to a rib place in town and I would order the full rack at like 10 years old. And there would literally be times where the chefs would come out from the kitchen because they didn't believe. And I was like this big when I was 10. <laughs> I was like this big when I was like 15. 
These chefs would come out and they'd be like, there's no way that little 10-year-old is pounding all that food. I had an appetite. But around 10 years old, I had another appetite that got, got awakened. It was kind of a surface-level appetite, but it, it hit on a soul-level appetite. I had, on the surface, I was hungry, but it was kind of distracting me from where I was hungry in my soul. You know what I'm talking about? You're kind of hungry for something, and you get it, and it doesn't quite fill it up. Because your soul is hungry. It was a service level appetite. I was about 10 years old. I'm at lunch one day in the lunch line with two uh, good friends of mine at the time. And uh, they started talking about something that their older brother had showed them. They started talking about this thing called pornography. And uh, I didn't really know what that was. I didn't really have a grid for it. And frankly, wasn't really interested. But just because they were talking about it, I got, I got curious. And so I went home. Uh, that day, I guess it was probably that day. I don't remember the exact details. And started figuring out, well what is this thing that they're talking about? Who are these people they're talking about? And started uh, just searching around the internet and started looking. I, know, I don't know what I was doing, but I was looking at pornography. And all of a sudden, um, I just found myself addicted to it in no time at all, at like 10 years old. And I just, I just had to have this. I, I didn't really understand it. I didn't even really like it, but I just had to have it because there was this appetite that had started to... At least, I don't know, sat, not sat, satisfy maybe, I, uh, but I just had to have some more. And uh, got really in, into that for years, all through junior high and high school. I mean, yeah, it just tore me up, and it, it caught me bad. It tore me up in all kinds of ways, in so many different ways. Like I said, we've all got appetites. We've all got different appetites. Maybe, maybe for you, it's not that appetite. Maybe, maybe it is. We've got appetites for adventure. We've got an appetite for sexuality, an appetite for security, for affirmation. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with those appetites. In fact, there's a whole lot good about those appetites. I believe those appetites are given to us by God because he wants to fill us. It's like he rigged the system. I'm going to make you hungry so I can fill you so we can be together. And those things that we hunger for reflect a hunger in our souls, not just for adventure, sexuality, security, affirmation, whatever it is, but it reflects a hunger in our soul that can only be filled by Jesus. I didn't know that. I didn't understand what was going on. As I went through junior high and high school, I had all the help in the world to help me get this thing under control. Ended up my parents found out and they tried to help me. I did accountability groups. I did computer filters. I did, I mean, man, we did everything, but it just didn't matter. Nothing worked uh, because I, I wanted to stop. I, I thought, I don't know, but I couldn't. I just couldn't. And I think we all know what it feels like. I, I want to, but I can't. And I was so, not, not only could I just not do it and was it just so wrapped up in all this stuff, but I was so full of shame and guilt and just disgusted by myself like all the time. And it would eventually lead into a sexually broken relationship down the road and just, it just cost a lot. We'll leave it there for now. That's junior high, high school. You fast forward to college and my freshman year, one of the first nights at college, I went to a church service and I had a, a powerful experience with God that night. But then I ignored it. I didn't do anything with it and just really the rest of my freshman year. Didn't really go back to church all that much. Didn't really seek God all that much. But through a different series of events that 
happened. I came to the end of my freshman year, and I, and I decided I was going to follow Jesus because I knew what my life looked like then, and I knew where it was headed, and it was just one of those kind of moments of clarity. I was like, this thing, the way I'm doing this is ridiculous, and it's not going to get any better. So I can do this, or I can follow Jesus, which is also kind of scary, but I'm going to follow Jesus. So end of my freshman year, I decided I'm going to I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't, I don't understand. So I started following him, but I still couldn't shake this thing, this addiction that I had. I remember hearing people talk about, you know, getting free from pornography, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, that's great for you, and I'm excited, but that's, you don't get it. It's never going to be me. And I just resigned to the fact that I was going to die with this part of my life forever. I didn't know how that was going to work, but that's just kind of where I was. But after my freshman year, so into my freshman year, I decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I, I actually come, I come back here to Indianapolis for the summer, and I'm kind of in this place of like, I want to love Jesus. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So I like try to read my Bible and stuff, and you know, I'm just trying, you know. I want to follow Jesus and, and figure this out, but I can't shake this addiction. And so it's kind of like opposite ways, but kind of still moving. I don't know how that works. But I remember one night, uh, I remember one night being at home, and uh, I was trying to figure out, in the middle of trying to figure out how to follow God with my life, but this, but this night I'm sitting in my room, and i am got my computer out, and I'm, I'm looking at porn again. And finally I just get sick of it. I'm like, this is so dumb, which I'd said a hundred times before, a thousand times before, and shut my computer, threw it off to the side, and I remember praying a prayer. I, like I said, I prayed a thousand times, just, God, <laughs> help. You ever been there? few weeks later, I kind of just have this realization. I'm like, I haven't been looking at porn or masturbating in like a few weeks. What? And I got really scared. I was like, oh shoot, now I'm thinking about it. I'm going to want to go back to it. But that didn't happen. I was like, I don't even want to. What is going on? <laughs> what, what is this? There was no thunder, no lightning, no audible voice. Nothing crazy. It just fell off. It was weird. I began to spend time with Jesus, and I was trying to do that in, in my mornings, and, and I, I remember trying to create some space in my life to hear from God on this, because I was like, God, I don't get it. What was, what was different about that night? I've been there a thousand times before, said the exact same prayer, had the exact same, ew, you know? I tried so hard to say no and prayed that prayer so many times, but what was different? He began to show me that I always had I had always had something backwards. It began to show me that I was been distracted by a surface level appetite that was covering up the appetite of my soul. I didn't realize it, but I'm trying to fill this appetite and starving my soul all along the way. The sexuality appetite was really reflecting a soul appetite for intimacy with God and for value. Hearing his voice. When I got trying to satisfy it with the wrong thing, the stuff on, with the stuff on the surface, my response was I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't really help it. I didn't really like it, but I just couldn't stop. I've been there. When I started trying to satisfy the surface level, the answer to stop was, okay, just suppress it. Suppress it. Try to, like, kill that thing, make it go away, I don't know, I, I'm sure you've been there before. I may, I maybe I'm the only one who's, who's done something in my life that maybe I didn't wish I did. My goal had always been to just stop, say no, be quiet, don't do that. You know, I'm never doing that again. 
But God had to show me that for all of us, this truth that I was experiencing, it's a truth for us that our souls, they were made to be suppressed. They were made to burn ablaze with passion and with fire. And that God gave us appetites. And that our appetites were meant to be filled. I had it backwards, but I get, the problem was I got focused on the wrong fire. Or like in John 6, I got focused on the wrong bread. See, our sin comes up and it knows that we're, we're made for fire. And it just kind of offers us one of these. This big lighter right here. Just kind of puts that right in, right in front of us. And fire is mesmerizing. Especially when you're made for it. Our sin offers us this big lighter, but the Bible says that our God is an all-consuming fire. You see, my sin tried to satisfy me with a lighter. My sin tried to satisfy me with just some bread, but I was built for the bread of life. When you've got an all-consuming all fire inside of you, it's amazing how irrelevant this lighter gets. There's no need. I'm not that smart, but I know I don't need that. When you've got Tinker Street pork belly, stale bread just is not that appealing. See, the appetite isn't your problem. Adventure is great, but you start exploring this life and all it has to offer outside of the kingdom of God, which is the greatest adventure that you can't even dream of, you're going to find yourself in ever deep, deeper, ever darker holes that you just can't get out of. Sexuality is great, but sexuality outside of God's plan of distinctly male, distinctly female, and sexual activity lived out in the context of a man and a woman and covenant under God, lived outside of that, it, it kills you, it steals from you. It destroys who you're made to be. It's not the appetite that's the problem. The security is great, but we start to idolize our security that we can provide ourselves with our money, with our cultural walls, with our social circles. Nobody has to get too uncomfortable about anything, but we keep ourselves from following Jesus because he doesn't live in those walls. Affirmation is amazing. God made you because he loves you. He loves you. He made you because he loves you, and he wants you to know that he loves you. You're made to be affirmed. We do this thing at the Zanaco household where we sit around. We're throwing Smith into it now, too. He's a little young to comprehend, but, you know, he's still involved. We sit down, and we take turns going around the circle, and we look at each other, me, Heather, and Rose, and Smith, and we just tell each other what we love about each other. What's, what's, we just say, it's time for encouragement, and we try to sit Rose down, but she's squirrely, but sometimes it happens. And it's like one of my favorite things that we do as a, as a family, and honestly, I wish every time Rose saw me, she ran up to me and greeted me with, Daddy, will you encourage me? That would be like the dream come true. If she said that every time, that would be so fun. And you're built for that with God. You're built for encouragement. You're built for affirmation. But when we don't get it from the one voice who can satisfy it at the soul level, we begin to sell ourselves short. And then we begin to sell ourselves off to the cheapest bidder. A job title, a promotion, a relationship, a drug, an activity, a social status, another child. An, I mean, we just, what's it going to be? 
See, what I got to realize is that I didn't get free because of my self-discipline. I didn't get free because of accountability. And I didn't even get free because I started going to church. I got free because Jesus satisfied my soul. That's how I got free. I started falling in love with Jesus. And when I got a taste of Jesus, I tasted the life of God in the middle of my brokenness. I tasted revival. That's what set me free. And if you're hungry, Jesus can satisfy your soul. He is the bread of life. And our world is hungry. It's full of hungry people who are in broken situations. And everybody's trying to find some bread that will actually satisfy We're stuffing ourselves. It's not a lack of bread that's the problem. It's just the wrong bread. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Jesus knows that you're hungry. He put that hunger in you, and you are, what you're hungering for is him. It's just Jesus. And Jesus is trying to tell the crowd this. He goes on in the rest of these 72 verses, and he's just saying, like, guys, it's me, it's me. And it says that they got offended by it. Like, I don't want you. I want bread. In there. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have got to feast on Jesus. You've got to feast on Jesus. You've got to live your life getting taste after taste after taste after taste after taste of his presence. Because here's the deal. The broken situations in your life and the hungry people in your life, what they don't need is a taste of your politics that are better than theirs, taste of your religion that's better than theirs, your ideas that are better than theirs, your morality that's, they don't need that. They don't even need better churchy stuff. They don't need to taste any of that stuff. Our world doesn't need to taste more people who think they're right about everything. They need a taste of revival. They need a taste of the life of God. The reason that you now wanna go to Tinker Street and buy some pork belly is because I've actually tasted it. The reason people are gonna want Jesus in your life is because you've tasted him. Not because you can explain him. Not because they haven't heard enough. Maybe they're just looking for somebody who really knows what it tastes like. Our world needs people who know what it's like to be hungry, but who also have found out how to get satisfied. Measured religion's not gonna do it anymore. We've gotta feast on the presence of Jesus. We've got a feast on the presence of Jesus. What our broken world needs, what you need, is you getting the biggest taste of Jesus you possibly can. It's just time to go all out on this thing. See, we got these problems. We got this problem called sin brokenness, whatever you want to call it, you've got this sin, this stuff in your life, but even in your problem, God was making preparation for your provision. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you're in the middle of your problem, God was preparing provision of redemption on the cross for you. But even the cross as an event wasn't the point it was the provision but it wasn't the point it's his provision of the cross is pointing you to his presence he loves you he's with you he said I'll never leave you 
I will never forsake you. He's the bread of life that your soul is hungering for. When you get a taste of Jesus, all of a sudden you're going to find that not only does that those stomach appetites seem to get filled a little better than they used to, but your soul is satisfied. But when you get a taste of Jesus, you're going to find that all of a sudden you're going to be able to step into maybe some other people's problems. And maybe even in some ways you're going to be their provision. And when you step into their problems and you encourage them that it's just preparation because God's going to provide, you can be there to point them to his presence. You need a taste of Jesus. He loves you. This taste of revival is everything. We live in a broken world. We need the life of God. The good news is we're Christians. <laughs> He's with us. Why don't you go ahead and stand this morning. We're gonna close. We always like to sing a song at the end of our services to respond. We wanna be people who respond to what God is doing in us. So there's a few ways that I want to invite you to respond this morning. We're going to have a few people over the side, uh, a prayer team for us, that if you want to pray with somebody, we'd love to have you guys, uh, we'd love to have you go over there and talk with somebody. Like I said, I want to invite you to respond in a few different ways this morning. Number one, maybe you've never gotten a taste of Jesus. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. You've never had your soul actually satisfied. You need to give your life to Jesus this morning and taste the bread of life. Maybe, maybe you have given your life to Jesus, but it's been a long time. You've been tasting a lot of other things, and it's time to come back and have a good taste of the bread of life. When I pray here in a second and we start singing the song, if that's you, I want you to go over and talk to one of these people. They're not scary. It may feel scary. They love you. Jesus loves you even more, and you need a taste this morning. Don't let anything stop you from getting the taste that you need. That's one way to respond. Another way to respond this morning, maybe you need to repent of something. We talked last week about responding to the voice of God, what he's doing, and throwing off the chains that are slowing us down. And maybe there's some appetites that you've been trying to satisfy, but you need to turn and get your soul satisfied. Maybe you need to throw off a taste of sin this morning and get a taste of Jesus. We sang it earlier, his arms are wide open. Whatever you need to get rid of this morning, get rid of it. Because you can. You're allowed to. It's done. We can just step into it. Maybe that's not you, either one of those. Maybe you're here and you're alive in God and you're just encouraged. And I just want you to pray. I want you to pray that during this next song, in these final few minutes, that maybe God just might really give you a bigger taste of Him than you've ever had in your whole life. What if? What if in the next few minutes you could have a taste of Jesus? I want you to pray while you do that for the two to three people in your life that you know need a taste of Jesus. What if right now the Holy Spirit could just prick their hearts with a hunger for Jesus? What if this week could be the week where your coworker asks that question you've been waiting for them to ask? Let's pray it in this morning. What if this could be the week where that child finally gives you a phone call again? What if this week is the week to taste revival? Lastly, if there's just anything you need, I encourage you to get prayer this morning.
Jesus is here. And he wants to give you everything that you need to live with a sense of revival. I'm going to pray. Go ahead and bow your heads. Close your eyes. Before I pray, if you're here this morning and you are in that first camp, I need to give my life to Jesus. Never given my life to Jesus before, or maybe for the first, maybe you need to come back. And you just realize, I've been away for a long time. I need a taste of revival. If that's you, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand right now. Go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for us right now. If you just raise your hand, I really want to encourage you to go over to the side and talk to somebody, have you pray with them. And if you need anything else, I want to encourage you to pray this morning with somebody. Let's worship and believe in the taste of revival. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that there is enough of you for all of us. I thank you that every problem we have right now, when you show up, it becomes preparation for your provision. So I pray a sense of revival this morning, that we wouldn't look at our problems as evidence that you're not there, but we would look at them with a sense of revival. I'm about to get a taste of Jesus. I thank you, God, that when you provide for us, that you're pointing us to your presence. I ask that we wouldn't be a people distracted by the provision distracted by the appetites, but we would be people who run and feast on your presence. So Lord, even in our last few minutes, we ask for your presence, Jesus. Would you give us a taste of revival as we sing your beautiful name, your beautiful name. Lord, you didn't want it by yourself. You had an appetite. You had an appetite for us. We wanna fill it with worship right now, Jesus. Fill it with adoration right now. We invite you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.